The great English war hero Field Marshal Montgomery once said to his young troops, Gentlemen, don't even think about marriage until you have mastered the art of warfare. Man, that's not very encouraging, is it? Especially to hear an older gentleman talk about marriage in that way. Don't even think about marriage until you've mastered the art of warfare. But you know, I don't think that's an uncommon idea of what marriage is today. I think that as we're raising our young ones and as they're seeing our marriages play out, as they're watching mom and dad do marriage and do life, and as they're watching movies and sitcoms, as they're reading in books, they're seeing marriage as a battle and as warfare. But you know, the Bible does not talk about marriage in that way. Actually, the Bible's idea of marriage is much sweeter. It's much more beautiful. You think about the movie Little House on the Prairie, and I want you just to take your mind back to that time for just a moment, the time of horse and buggy, the time of the great frontier when people were coming into the United States, moving from the east and moving into the great plains of Kansas and Missouri and Wisconsin and Michigan. These folks were taming the land and these families, these dads and these moms and their children were, were facing the, the great wild and, and the great unknown. You think about a little house on the prairie. Well, at one point, the family, if you remember mom, pa, Laura, and Mary, and that, and that, that sweet family there, they lived in the woods of Wisconsin in that, in that cabin. And at some point, pa decided, we're going to move to the plains. We're going to move to the prairie. We're going to start farming, and we're going we're to have a different life. Well, you know what's so awesome about that is that the mom and, and, and the girls, they fell right in line. They, they followed his leadership. They followed dad's leadership. They followed the husband's leadership. And though it was hard and though it was difficult and though it brought about challenges, you could see that that family flourished because they understood their roles. They understood what was important in life. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that for you to be a real man, you've got a farm, or for you to be a real woman, you've got to be a homemaker. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this, that when you look at that family, you see an ideal that, that, that the Bible reflects. You see an ideal of roles, of, of, of the mother following the leadership of the husband, but the husband loving the mother and caring for her. The children obeying their parents and, and being raised in, in that good moral way. You think about the Waltons, and I know you've all probably seen the Waltons, where it's the never-ending good night, right? Where everyone single-handedly says good night to another person until everyone has said good night to the others and the lights turn off. That's an ideal in this day and age, but did you know that that's not really an ideal in the Bible? That it's the standard, that it's the norm, that the Bible teaches that we can have a family and a home life that's truly happy. So today, as we continue our series, Marriage in the 21st Century, I want us to see that we can truly have a happy home life. So I've titled my sermon today, A Happy Home. Did you know that God wants your marriage, that he wants your home to be happy? That he doesn't want it to be a struggle. He doesn't want it to be warfare like the quote that we mentioned, but he wants it to be something like Little House on the Prairie. He wants it to be something like the Waltons. He wants it to be filled with love and happiness and joy. And did you know that if you do things God's way, that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, that everything's going to be easy, but it does mean that he will bring happiness and joy into your home. You know, we live in a day and age where instead of Little House on the Prairie and the Waltons, we see shows like Modern Family, where instead of adhering to God's design for marriage and the home, mankind has gone about his own philosophy and his own way of thinking and has recreated the family, has redesigned the family, where now we see families 
uh, men and women living together outside of marriage. We see men coming into these civil unions together, which they call marriage. Women coming into these civil unions together, which they call marriage. People trying to adopt children. We even see the transgender revolution where even to this day, there are people having surgeries where basically there is mutilation of, of people's um, God-given uh, body parts and, and gender identities, and they're being mutilated to try to fit this new idea of what mankind says the family and gender should be. And what's coming out of that and what's breeding from all of these things is destruction. It's, it's sadness. It's hopelessness. It's depression. It's homes that are destroyed. It's homes that are filled with strife and wrath. And people sit back and they wonder, why are our families in so much trouble? Why can't we just have a happy home? My friends, I'm going to tell you the truth. And it's because we have failed to do things God's way, and we've chosen to do things our own way. And any time that you ever see humanity grasping after his own wisdom and after his own ways and forsaking the Creator's design, you will always find destruction and hopelessness. So how can you have a happy home? Because that's what I want to focus on today. There's enough in this world to be sad about. There's enough in this world to be depressed about. I want to talk about happiness today. I want to talk about having that happy home. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says this, But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Men, today we can lead our wives because Christ leads us. Women, you can submit to your husbands, because you submit to Christ, because Christ submitted to his Father to do his will. So today, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 18 through 21. Again, we're in our series, Marriage in the 21st Century, and the title of today's sermon is A Happy Home. So beginning in verse 18, follow along with me. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Let's pray. God, we love you, and Lord, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, as we've moved through this series about marriage, Lord, I hope that it's opened our eyes, because I know it's certainly opened my eyes, to how many times in the Bible marriage is really mentioned. It seems that it's over and over again. All the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation, we find the union of marriage, the institution of marriage as you created it in the Garden of Eden, a, a union, a, a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. And today, God, we pray that you would elevate the importance of marriage in our hearts and in our minds. God, that we would protect marriage, that we would pray for marriage. God, that we would teach our children what biblical marriage is, that we would be able to combat the false presuppositions of the world as they continue to communicate to us marriage in a different light, that we would always adhere to the God-given design of marriage, marriage and union between one man and one woman. Lord, we pray for happy homes today. We pray for marriages that are full of joy and peace, not marriages that are in strife and struggle. We pray, God, for marriages where joy is realized, where children grow up seeing mom and dad happy, seeing mom and dad in love, seeing mom and dad serving one another and serving you. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So as we look and we think about what Colossians chapter 3 is saying, you're going to find a lot of similarities between Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. Last week, as we talked about the mirror image, we looked at Ephesians 5 and saw how God designed marriage to reflect the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Well, of course, we know that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and he also wrote the book of Colossians that we're in today. So here, Paul is really re-communicating some truths that he had already mentioned in his letter to the Ephesians. But it seems that there is some different terminology, so I want us to look at these a little different today based upon how we can rightfully have a happy home. Now, we're going to see three different aspects here in Colossians 3 that give us the right mentalities and the right motivations and the right understandings of marriage that will lead to having that happy home that we all desire. So that first aspect that we're going to find here in this passage is a right relationship. A right relationship. If you're taking notes, write that down. A right relationship. And we're going to find that in verses 18 and 20. So in verse 18, if we go back there quickly, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then you go to verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. What I want us to focus on here in these two verses, verse 18 and verse 20, is in verse 18, as is fitting in the Lord, and in verse 20, where it says that pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. What we have to understand is, is that a happy home and a happy marriage can only be achieved and only be possible if mom and dad have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you see there in verse 18, Paul is saying, commanding and imploring wives to submit to their husbands, but he finishes that statement with, as is fitting in the Lord. Here what he's saying is, is that your submission to your husband wives, husbands, your submission to your wives and your love for them is not based upon your own power. It's not based upon your own ideas. It's not based upon your own understanding, but it's based upon your relationship with the Lord. If I'm going to do something as is fitting in the Lord, then I'm going to do something because it pleases him. I'm going to do something because he is empowering me to do it, not because I'm doing it on my own power, not because I'm doing it because I think it's going to benefit me, not because I'm doing it because I want something in return, but I am going to love my wife. She is going to submit to me because it is fitting in the Lord. And then we go on down and we see the same line of thought there in this command to the children of the home, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. He's saying children in the home, you are to obey mom and dad, not because you're going to get an allowance, not because you feel like you're not going to get in trouble as much, not because you're trying to, to butter them up to buy you something, but you're going to obey mom and dad because it pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. So then when we take a bird's eye view of the home, we begin to see that happiness and success in the home is a direct result of our relationship with Jesus, having that right relationship. See, if you have sin in your life, it is impossible for your relationship with Jesus to be right. In Joshua chapter 7, you find a story of a man named Achan. Now, the children of Israel had just crossed the Jordan River. They had come into the land that God had promised them, and now set before them were several cities, several kingdoms that they were going to have to conquer in order to possess the land that God had promised their fathers. So as Joshua was leading the armies, of Israel into the promised land, they came to this city called Jericho. 
Now, Jericho was very well fortified, had very tall walls, had a great, well-known, renowned army. And the children of Israel were quite intimidated, but God had commanded them to march around those city walls seven days in a row. And that at the end of their march, the walls would come crumbling down. But there was a command given to the children of Israel before they were to run into the city and finish the job and demolish all that was there. God had commanded them through his servant Joshua not to touch anything, not to keep anything in the city. That's all been set apart for God. If you find valuable possessions, you are not to take them for yourself. If you find cattle, you are to completely destroy everything. That was the command of God. But there was a man named Achan who decided to disobey God. And as they rushed into the city to finish the defeat of Jericho, Achan found some gold, he found some silver, and he found a Babylonian garment. And it says that he stole those from inside the city. And he took them back to his tent in the camp of Israel, and he buried them in the ground in the midst of his tent. Well, no one else really knew what Achan had done except Achan and God. Well, the next battle that came up was when Israel was coming against the city of Ai. And even the spies said that Ai was going to be an easy win for Israel. They're not well fortified. They don't have um, qualified and trained fighting men. We're going to be able to take this city no problem. Well, Israel only sends a few men in because they think the defeat is um, is is uh, going to happen for sure. It's, this is going to ha- take place today. And as they send those men in, they suffer a terrible, humiliating defeat. So then Joshua tears his clothes and falls on his face and begins to pray, to pray to God, saying, God, why have we lost? What's going on? You know what God said? He said, there is sin in the camp. Someone in the midst of Israel has taken what I have said to leave alone. They have sinned and they have rebelled against my judgment. And now the entire nation of Israel is suffering because of one man's sin. The family is the same way. Did you know that? Husbands, if you have sin in your heart, you have brought it into your home. And now it is not only going to affect you, but it's going to affect your wife. It's going to affect your children. Wives, if you've got sin in your heart, if you're if you're uh, taking part in sin, continual sin, unrepentant sin, and you're not repenting of that to the Lord, it's going to affect not only you, but your husband and your children. Children the same way. What happens in your heart will affect your family. You've got to have a right relationship. You Do you really want happiness in your home? Do you really want a marriage that God has set before you? If you do, you've got to have the courage to repent of your sins and have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Achan suffered the consequences of his sin, but you know what? Once the sin was eliminated, Israel was able to flourish again. And today, if you don't have that right relationship in your home, moms, dads, children, husbands, wives, today I beg you to repent of your sin. Get the sin out of the camp so that happiness can enter your home. The second aspect that we see here in Colossians 3, if you're taking notes, is the right attitude. So first thing we saw was the right relationship, and it has to do with the relationship between you and Christ, uh, between your wife and Christ, between your children and Christ. But that second aspect that we find here as a means to have a happy home is to have the right attitude. The right attitude. If you're taking notes, write that down. We're going to find that in verse 19. So if you'll go back to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look in verse 19 where the Bible says this, Husbands, love your wives 
and don't be bitter toward them. Well, the part that I want us to focus on is, of course, husbands love your wives. That's very important, which we talked about last week in Ephesians. But I want us to really focus down on don't be bitter toward them, having the right attitude. You know, your attitude is everything. And your attitude is a product of your thoughts. Your thoughts are a product of what's in your heart. And it's, it's a chain reaction. If you've got bitterness in your heart, it's going to infiltrate your mind. And if you've got bitter thoughts in your mind, it's going to infiltrate into your attitude and how you portray yourself to others, how you speak to them, how you treat them, how you view them. All the above is going to be directly related back to the bitterness that you find in your heart. I want to share this passage with you because I think it is so important in, in really narrowing down on how important it is for us to have the right attitude in our heart and our mind. Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 through 9 say this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, sometimes as Bible-believing Christians, I get really fed up with people saying, you know, if you'll just focus your mind on the right things, you can achieve anything. Or if you'll just have positive thoughts. You know, everything's going to work itself out. Well, sometimes I get angry because if you look at it through that secular worldview, your thoughts in and of themselves are not going to really change your life. They're not going to have an impact on your heart. But there is a certain amount of truth to that. And we find that in Scripture, that what you allow your mind to settle on and dwell on directly reflects how you portray yourself to others. It directly reflects how you treat others. If I'm going to allow my mind to settle on how my wife is just always nagging me, which my wife doesn't, by the way, and I am always thinking about that, you know what that's going to cause me to do? That's going to cause me to develop this bitterness within me so that when I talk to her, when I'm around her, when I, when I look at her, I'm always going to think hateful and bitter thoughts. And what that's going to do is that's going to put a wedge in our marriage that's going to allow room for Satan to rear his ugly head and destroy us. But if I allow myself to think good thoughts about my wife, lovely thoughts about her, if I find myself thanking God for her and being grateful for her and loving her, you know what that's going to do? That's going to influence my attitude toward her in a way that I show her my love. I make her feel loved. And I nurture her and care for her the way that God intended me to. You know, today, your home might be in strife because you've got a bad attitude. And you know what? Maybe you've been asking yourself, why do I feel this way all the time? Well, the reason you feel this way, the reason you have a bad attitude toward your husband or toward your wife or even toward your children is because you have allowed bitterness to grow in your heart. You have allowed it to infiltrate your mind to where you have been focusing on negative thoughts about your spouse. You have been focusing on how that person does not fulfill you, how that person does not do what you want them to do, how that person doesn't care for you, how that person didn't unload the dishwasher, how that person didn't offer to help get the kids in the bed, how that person didn't offer to mow the yard. And you begin to 
think about and be consumed with all this bitterness and then you question, why is my attitude so bad toward my spouse? It's because you have not allowed your mind to dwell on those things that are good. Let me tell you that list again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Verse 9, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. You've got to have the right attitude. You want a happy home? You've got to have that right attitude. And then lastly, that last aspect that is absolutely necessary for a happy home is you've got to have the right words spoken. You've got to speak the right words into your family. We find that in verse 21. If you will, follow with me. Colossians 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. If you're taking notes, write down the right words spoken. And my question for you in regard to these words that I'm talking about is, are you a builder or are you a destroyer? Because your words can achieve either or. Your words can build and your words can destroy. You know, one thing that's such a, a common misconception about words is that they don't really have any impact. They don't really hurt. But you know, words do hurt. Words carry such weight. I know that there are certain things that people can say to me, and my wife is one of my greatest encouragers. When she encourages me, I could literally run through a block wall. I feel so confident and so, uh, you know, myself, my insecurities go away when my wife encourages me. But there are some things that people can tell me too that will literally make me go off the deep end, that will literally hurt me to the very core of my soul. And it's because words are so powerful. I mean, you yourself could probably think back years, even decades, to a specific statement that someone made to you that either made you or broke you, that sent you over the edge of depression or elevated you to the point where you felt like you could achieve anything. That's how powerful words are. Every great world leader in the history of humanity has always been able to say the right words, to communicate in a way that motivates his hearers or her hearers. Today, I want you to understand that if you speak the right words in your family and in your marriage, it can enhance the happiness of your home. James chapter 3, and I want you to go ahead and turn there because I'm going to read 12 verses in James chapter 3 because I believe that this is essential to our understanding of how powerful our words can be. So James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, 
Though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Wow. The tongue is powerful. The tongue can either build up or it can tear down. It can either encourage or it can discourage. And when we look there in verse 21 of Colossians chapter 3, we find the specific command to fathers not to exasperate their children, not to cause their children undue stress and undue anxiety and undue strife, but to encourage them, not to discourage, but to encourage, to build up your children, men and women, to build up your children. Husbands and wives, use your words not to exasperate each other, but to build each other up in encouragement. You should be your wife's biggest fan, husbands. Wives, you should be the biggest fan of your husband today. The biggest cheerleader your spouse has should be you. You should not be the one tearing them down. You should not be the one talking bad behind their backs. But you should be the one fighting for them. I remember my former pastor said this one time. He said, if I'm in public with a group of people and my wife says something, even if what she said was completely wrong, even if what she said was completely inappropriate, I am still going to have her back in front of that group of people. Even if she was completely wrong, I've got her back and I'll fight for her. And then when we go back home in private, we can discuss the morality of what she did or what she said. But I will not tear her down and I will not condemn her in front of other people in any shape, form, or fashion. I will always be her cheerleader. And today, that's what we have got to be for our spouses. If the whole rest of the world is against your spouse, you ought to be for them. You ought to be advocating for them. You ought to be building them up, and you ought to be loving them. And I promise you, the result of that, using those right words, speaking those right words into their lives, will enhance the happiness of your home. You know, today, your home may be in strife because you're so discouraging to your spouse. Because you're more busy figuring out what's wrong with them and telling them about it than trying to build them up and encourage them. Several years ago, the Saturday Evening Post carried an article titled The Seven Ages of the Married Cold. We're talking about like a sinus cold. It revealed the reactions of a husband to his wife's colds during their first seven years of marriage. It went something like this, and I think you'll get a kick out of this. The first year... The wife gets a cold. Sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle, and there's no telling about these things with strep throat going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and good rest. I know the food is lousy, but don't worry. I'll be bringing your meals in from Rossini's. I've already got it all arranged with the floor superintendent. The second year, she gets a cold. 
Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called Doc Miller and asked him to rush over here. The third year, she gets a cold. Maybe you'd better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something. Have you got any canned soup? The fourth year, she gets a cold. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you fed the kids, washed the dishes, and finished the floors, you better lie down. The fifth year, she gets a cold. Why don't you just take a couple of aspirin? The sixth year, she gets a cold. I wish you would just gargle or something instead of sitting around all evening barking like a seal. The seventh year, she gets a cold. For Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia? The decline of marriage as seen through the common cold, and it is such a reality. But it shows you the digression that we have so often in our words and how we tear down our spouses. Today, I want you to thoughtfully and with the depths of your heart to consider what I'm saying today. If you're discouraged about your marriage and you say, you know what, I could be so much happier away from my spouse, do not listen to Satan as he's telling you those lies. You can have a happy home as God intended. And I want you to apply these three aspects this week. Number one, have a right relationship. Make sure your relationship with Jesus is right because until it's right, your relationship with your spouse will not be. Make sure you've got the right attitude. Make sure you're allowing your mind to dwell on things that are lovely and good. Quit allowing bitterness to take root in your heart and grow and affect your attitude poorly toward your spouse. And then lastly, make sure you have the right words that you speak. Make sure that you are speaking in a way that builds up your spouse and does not destroy them. And I assure you that if you make these steps and you move forward in obeying God's word, you can have a happy home. Today, I pray for your marriage. I pray that it will continue to thrive. I pray that during these difficult times that God will give you the happy home that he wants you to have. I want to just implore you today, maybe Maybe you've gotten saved here recently, or maybe you would like to know what it means to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We at Pole Creek want to minister to you. Our pastors stand ready to minister to you in any way that we can. So if that's you, maybe you want to get saved, or maybe you've been saved, you want to know what the next steps are. All you have to do to reach out to us is simply text the word SAVED to the phone number 828-373-1940. And I promise you, we'll reach out to you and we'll counsel you in what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today you want to know more about Pole Creek. You want to maybe even think about joining our church. Or maybe you want to be connected to a small group to where you can build relationships with other like-minded believers. All you have to do is text the word CONNECT to that same phone number, 828-373-1940, and we will get you connected with a group that will fit well for you, where you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. Thank you so much for spending time worshiping with us today. Again, allow these aspects of the marriage to infiltrate your life this week, and I promise you, God will do something great in your marriage. Let's pray. God, we love you, and Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, God, for marriage, the institution as you made it, a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. We understand, God, that it is the the means by which you've given us, Lord, to keep from being lonely, to be able to enjoy uh, sex in in that relationship, and also to to multiply and fill the earth, Lord, to, to have babies. And God, we are thankful for that great institution. Today, I pray that we would protect it, that we would fight for it, God, that we would elevate it to its proper level of importance in our lives. God, that we would pour into our marriages what you've asked us to, that we can truly have that happy home. And God, I'm so thankful that your word, though thousands of years old, 
is still just as applicable in the 21st century in our marriages. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.